Hello and welcome to Cinema to the Letter. This episode, it's that classic known as Black Sabbath. On Cinema to the Letter, we break down the very nature of cinema, letter by letter. For each episode of a film miniseries topic, we cover six films that fit either a C for classic, an I for an indie, uh, an N for new, E for egregious, M for masterpiece, and A for atypical. Who doesn't love an acronym, am I right? I am Thomas, your ghost host, here for the evening on our inaugural horror season episode. Uh, hello, yes, I'm Brian, and, oh, hold on, I'm getting a call here. <laughs> Pronto! Hello, Brian. I can see you out there. <laughs> oh. well, welcome, everybody, to Ooh. the latest edition of Cinema to the Letter, our first episode of our second season. We're pumped here, Brian, uh, as we talk about a horror, as uh, this is coming out September 26th, but we'll be doing horror episodes all throughout the month, all the way to... Our uh, A for Atypical coming out on Halloween. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yes. Uh, and uh, yeah, so today we'll be covering um, a film uh, for our C for Classic status, as we open any series up with. And uh, the film we're covering is Black Sabbath from 1963, uh, which, you know, is from sort of this like Italian horror era. And we should kind of talk about, you know, given sort of classic status here. Mario Bava, I noticed uh, you'd watched a couple of movies, and so I'm curious, uh, how do you feel about sort of him and that sort of Italian giallo style, if you're at all familiar? Yeah. Uh, previously, I had, you know, pretty much only been aware of Argento, Dario right. Argento, um, in terms of giallo and Italian horror films. Um, and I'd known of Mario Bava. I'd seen, you know, some people I follow and and kind of, you know, who had watched his movies and being like, hey, this this guy's pretty good. Um, and so I took this opportunity to watch uh, some of his movies because I hadn't seen any of them. Specifically, I picked uh, the film Black Sunday right. and uh, Blood and Black Lace. And I picked a non-horror one uh, called Danger Diabolic. Although I, I do want to say the Italian names for all these movies are very funny. Because Black Sunday is called La Maschera del Demonio, which is the mask of of the demon or Satan. <laughs> and then Blood in Black Lace is called uh, Sei Donne per l'Assassino, uh, practicing my Italian, uh, which is, I believe, six women for the assassin. <laughs> Brian, you're just trying to impress me. I respect it. But just so you know, I can barely speak English, so it doesn't really... <laughs> matter as much to me uh but no i mean i think that's the thing also is that like look i've made many jokes previously of my italian lineage and at the same time despite being italian a horror fan not as up on my italian horror as i am with other horror subgenres because i've seen like a fair amount of like argentos um i've seen a fair amount of fulci's 
I've seen a fair amount of uh, both uh, now recently Mario, uh, but also his son Lamberto Baba. Um, and yeah, I just think Italian horror is really what I have gleamed of it is fascinating just in terms of like, with all due respect to my ancestors, these movies feel like they're from a different planet in a way that's great. That's what I really love about <laughs> yeah. it. It just it feels so alien, different from even like, because in terms of like American horror around this time, even you've got like what you got. Well, one of our stars, Boris Karloff, has having like his comeback. So you've got like the Roger Corman era, and the Roger Corman era kind of feels like this because there's it's a similar kind of like low budget kind of lewd dealing with like more gore and sex and all this other stuff, uh, but at the same time like. There's a weird classiness that is totally unearned admittedly by the content yeah. many times in these movies. Like, I've seen the Fulci <laughs> movies where it's like, oh, the beautiful serene subtlety of a woman barfing out her esophagus and guts. <laughs> it's not an earned classes, but it's just kind of there. Yeah, or even in just in Black Sabbath, I mean, just the, like production design of like some of these uh not the middle section but the sort of the the sections that bookend the you know it's these really fancy really nice apartment buildings and like homes um you know it, yeah it feels like there's a class a classiness there that comes from i think that you know a lot of older horror movies but also yeah they're 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 kind of trashy yeah. um and i mean that in the most like complimentary yeah. way um but um, I saw that you also watched some some Mario Baba films. So which ones which ones did you watch? Yeah, so I did a bit more than you because uh, it kind of bled into <laughs> Dragon Con research. Uh, but I um sure I have seen. Let's see. Uh, well, um, Planet of the Vampires, uh, which is especially interesting <laughs> if you watch it with the context of this probably inspired Alien quite a bit. Because I mean. I'll just say hmm, it, okay. it's a movie about a bunch of people who are on a spaceship that crash land and some of them start dying or being taken over by another entity. And midway through the movie, they discover a giant alien skeleton. I mean, Ridley, <laughs> I, Ridley. <laughs> yes. Uh, <laughs> and, and I do have more on that as we kind of get more into Black Sabbath, but, but go but on. Yes. Yeah, what, which one, which other um, ones did you watch? I also watched, uh, Blood and Black Lace, like you mentioned, um, A Bay of Blood, mm -hmm. uh, which is also okay. fascinating. That one's uh, like near sort of the seventies era. It's basically like the proto Friday the Thirteenth, even more so than Halloween, because like there sure. there okay. are certain kills that are copied shot for shot in Friday the Thirteenth that are in A Bay of Blood. <laughs> oh, yes. okay. Um, huh. But then also, uh, I love this title. This is probably my favorite of the titles. Was a uh, kill baby. Ellipses kill, <laughs> which I believe is an American title, <laughs> which is the, yes. just the punctuation on that. There's kill, comma, baby, ellipses, kill, exclamation point. <laughs> we need we need more of that. The, those kind of titles. <laughs> I love them. Yeah, it's it's incredible. And also, I I believe the Italian name is Operazione Paura. Which I believe means Operation Fear, if I'm understanding that, that correctly. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I also watched Danger Diabolique, which you know might be talked about later in the show. Put a pin in it uh, by somebody, maybe. Uh, maybe. maybe. <laughs> um, but but yeah, so it's it's interesting, especially because you know part of this is Giallo, which I would say is probably the one that like I'm the least familiar with, with sort of like those Italian subgenres. But basically, 
uh, like Blood and Black Lace is very much that. I don't know how familiar you are with others. Oh yeah, of that ilk. Uh, a a bit, but I I I you know watching like Blood and Black Lace for example, it and really watching all of these, I there it's there is kind of a a thing I noticed a lot while watching these and while I watch a lot of older horror movies is that you see so much of the DNA of modern horror movies or, you know, the, some of the classics as well. Like, I mean, blood and black lace is, you know, one, it is a movie with a, a killer and he is killing mostly women. And, but, but even where it goes to, I don't want to spoil it, but where it goes is very interesting. And I can, I can see a lot of uh, filmmakers taking influence from that. But yeah, yeah, I think for me with the Giallo especially, it's like, I tend to like more of the sort of either pastiches or the later ones. Like, I'm more of a fan of, say, of like Deep Red or Bird with the Crystal Plumage in terms of like, you know, the, the Argento ilk. Um, or even just the weird ones like, I love Phenomena. Such a great fucking movie. You have, you have seen, have you seen Phenomena? I, I have not seen Phenomena, oh, no. so good. So fucking weird. <laughs> it's one of the weirdest movies in the system, but it's great. <laughs> It's the oh, it is. It's the one with Jennifer yes, Jennifer Connelly, Connelly Donald Pleasance. Okay, and he has a chimp. He like has a, a chimp <laughs> that is like there to assist him, who has a genuinely great character arc. And I'm not kidding about that. But anyway, that's for another time. Because <laughs> uh, let's get into our main feature now, Brian. Let's talk about the 1963 film Black Sabbath, and uh, here's a trailer. Do you believe in ghosts? This is the night when fear and horror walk hand in hand. This is Black Sabbath. Starring the incomparable Boris Karloff, the personable Mark Damon, and lush and lovely women. Even though one is from the netherworld, a vampire, a Vordalac. As ancient a superstition, as modern as the telephone. I am hungry. Is he man? Or vampire? An adventure into black magic that goes beyond the boundaries of the supernatural. Man's devoted love is welcomed by a woman's deadly lust for his blood. All right, so Black Sabbath uh, came out August 17th, 1963. I believe that's the Italian release. Um, And then it's like more toward October of that year um, from Mario Bava. Uh, written by him and Marcelo Fondato and Alberto, I'm sorry, Alberto, um, Let's see, hold on, let me. Yeah, you're trying to show um, me up, right? You know Italian, dude. Let's see. So. Oh man, that is a, that is a very, <laughs> Alberto Be- Bevilacqua. Bevilacqua? I think so. Yeah. B-E-V-I-L-A-C-Q-U-A. <laughs> Anybody other want to correct us? <laughs> what a name. Send us feedback. <laughs> but anyway, um, so yeah, uh, this is, uh, you know, the uh, Mario Bava 1963 film. So this is, in terms of his timeline, this is after Black Sunday. I believe his follow-up to Black yes. Sunday, which, if you don't know, was a very 
is probably the one that like if you say hey what's a mario bava movie you're probably gonna get uh recommended black sunday so right and you've seen you watched it right so what are your thoughts on that movie i really liked black sunday um it's in black and white uh, which is the only one i watched that was in black and white um but like you know it, it feels so much like a a much older horror film in like you know, witches, the devil, you know, that kind of thing. Right. Um, but the, I mean, the, the production design and the, like, you know, just the castles, you know, castles with secret passageways and like dungeons and really like all of that stuff. I, I loved it. And I think, you know, the, the, the villain, the sort of witch vamp, she's like a vampire, but also a witch. It's, you know, right. Is she a right? witch or a vampire? <laughs> yes, is the answer to that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, I just thought it was really, really fascinating. And, you know, the black and white photography looks like just so good. I mean, I, I love, you know, his the the ones I watched in color, but the, the black and white just really like looked incredible. Um, but yeah, what about you? Because you, you also you had had you previously seen uh, this one? Uh, I'd seen both, yeah, Black Sabbath and uh, Black Sunday. Uh, okay. Black Sunday, it's been a while. I wanted to try and rewatch it, but just didn't have the time. Um, but yeah, I, I have a similar thing. I will also say, like specifically, the prologue sequence of that film is like one of yes. the most famous horror sequences for a reason. It's genuinely like probably the best depiction of sort of like the horror of the Salem witch trials I think we've ever seen on film. And I mean that very genuinely. Yeah, it, it is. I mean, like it the these movies are so well directed for how like low budget and, you know, you know, quote unquote cheap they can seem in, in some ways, but yeah, I mean like, yeah, that, that section is so, it, it sort of immediately captures you. Like it was the first one of these yeah. I, I watched and it was immediately like, Oh wow. This is like really gripping and really visually, you know, extravagant. So was that the uh, only ones that you had seen? Um, yeah, I had seen uh, the ones I'd mentioned, um, inc- and also probably my least favorite of them, uh, The Whip and the Body, uh, which is a curious okay. movie. Have you, do you have any idea about this movie? No, I don't. It's weird. Uh, basically, it's the story of um, this, it takes place in this big gothic castle, and there's this uh, woman who is like, you know, part of this family, and she's about to be endowed, the estate or whatever, and then the sexy count cousin... Uh, comes back, played by Christopher Lee. Oh, though, yes. though, though, hold on. Big caveat. <laughs> we should mention these Italian movies of this era. A lot of them were sort of famous for being dubbed, uh, to because of the weird production of these movies. Basically, involved like they wouldn't record sound on set because I think it's. I, I apologize, any Italian film scholars out there, if I get some of these facts <laughs> wrong. But to my knowledge, it's like. Some, a lot of the studios that were built at this time, because of the sort of cheapness, the lack of money that they had, weren't soundproofed. So they would literally okay. just record film and have all the actors speak, most of them mouth English, um, but a few of them are speaking right. like their native languages, whatever they were comfortable with. Um, but then they would end up being dubbed over. And uh, in that movie, Christopher Lee is dubbed. And it's weird. Okay. It's kind of like, it's like, I have it somewhat with Boris Karloff in this movie, just because that dude has such a distinctive voice as well. But with Christopher Lee, it's just even weirder. Because like that dude is, I've heard people do good Boris Karloff impressions. 
It's a lot harder to do a Christopher Lee. <laughs> and yeah. He's trying to kind of. The guy who's dubbing him is kind of trying. He's like, no, dude. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was. Th- that was a, a thing that I was kind of unsure about because I I had watched like Black Sunday and Blood and Black Lace were they were dubbed, but they were dubbed over in English. The versions I watched, right? And then the version of Black Sabbath is dubbed over in Italian. So it's a very yeah. It's That's a very another weird thing is kind of depending on the streaming service you might have watched or whatever. I'm I'm curious because this is also very crucial and will change the course of this discussion. What was the order of your segments? Because depending on the one you got, it's different. Oh, well, I watched both. Will... By the way, I watched both as a comparison point. But okay, because yeah. I will say, I got my copy from my local library. Oh, so um, local libraries, it's... everybody. <laughs> yes, the as you can see, the spookiest thing. A $2 overdue fee. Oh. Um, <laughs> yeah, but my section, the the order was the telephone, the Verdelac, and the drop of water. Great. Yeah, because that's, that's the better version of this movie, spoilers. Because, uh, like, if you don't know, basically, uh, the production sort of history of this movie and of this time is like, uh, there was a production company called American International Pictures, which was sort of famous for taking a lot of, like, Italian movies and dubbing them over in English to varying degrees of quality. Uh, basically, the, the two founders, uh, James H. Nicholson and Samuel Z. Arkoff, which, one of the great producer names. <laughs> one of those great, like Louis B. Mayer, Samuel K. Arkoff, <laughs> Richard D. Zanuck. Just these guys are just like, I need a fucking middle initial and a weird last name and a very plain first name. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but yeah, so uh, they were trying to get a lot more films after there was a 1958 version of Hercules that was uh, their first attempt at this and uh, was apparently ex- surprisingly a hit. Everyone was like, oh, fuck, wow. Uh, so they ended up doing getting a lot more, particularly from Mario Bava and other directors like that at this time. And Bava said in terms of what he wanted to do with Black Sabbath was he wanted to create um, stories about how terror can strike mankind in different time periods and asked the screenwriters to get him stories from books. So AIP approved that basic thematic idea. But we're very encouraging about, like, hey, pick public domain choices, because we want to pay people any money. <laughs> Which I believe, I, I apologize, I didn't look up what the, I know one of these is like a, a Tolstoy, I think, or something. Or Tchaikovsky, maybe, I don't hmm. know. Okay. I, don't, I don't know these names. I know Samuel C. Arca. <laughs> <laughs> a name worth remembering. <laughs> yes. I am seeing, this is not a sort, like, on the the letterboxed page, it has, like, the original writers section, and there is Anton Chekhov and okay. Tolstoy on there, so... Okay. Maybe, yeah. All right. But, in any case, so, yeah, this is an anthology film, which I think we, we keep having these divergent thoughts where we really talk about Black Sabbath, but this is also an anthology movie, which is an yeah. interesting kind of movie. I'm Because I'm curious, how do you feel about that concept, especially for horror, just doing, you know three stories and a wraparound of some sort usually. Yeah, I was I was really interested to see if I would click with this one as much because mm-hmm. yeah, it's three it's it's a very short movie like, you know, off the bat. It's 95 minutes. Right. And so having three stories, I wondered how much are these actually going to you know, rope me in and actually keep me interested in them. And I found it to be a really perfect like little you know, a, a way of telling these three little stories that, you know, really can't be any longer than they already are. 
you know, and yeah. are, you know, especially the first one is like deceptively simple where like, you know, I'm waiting for like the moment where, you know, it, it becomes something else. And no, it, it is this very simple story. And like you were saying about the sort of order of it all, like, I like the idea of bookending this with two much kind of shorter, you know, simpler, quote unquote, simpler stories and having the middle one be a, a bit more meaty and a bit more kind of substantive. Um, and I loved it. I was really surprised by how much I was invested in, in these three, these three little stories. Um, but yeah. What, what about you? Well, cause like I'm a big fan of the horror anthology in terms of like, it's obviously it's not a genre that happens a lot, especially now, but it was very prevalent, particularly in like the eighties. And I watched a lot of those. And I think, the, the, the curious thing about Black Sabbath is that, like, usually with a horror anthology, it's kind of known if you go into it. Like, okay, there's probably going to be one really great segment. A couple, right. like, depending on the length of it, like, one fine one, one, like, terrible one usually is, like, kind of right. the, the deal. Uh, but mm-hmm. this is one of the rare ones where I would say um, I like all of them. I think there's a hierarchy. I think there is a first, second, third place kind of thing. Yes, yeah. I would say so. I'd be curious to... to We can do this a bit later, but I'd be curious to, to hear your your ranking of them in, in, in that order. But Well, one thing we should talk about before we get into like those three stories is just um, Karloff acts as a host to some degree. Yeah. So your crypt keeper or whatnot. Um, in the Italian version, it's literally like two very odd bookending bits. It's They're yes. very <laughs> weird and very different, um, but they're both great. Uh, and yeah, so I'm curious, especially like, how do you, do you have, cause you haven't seen the universal movies. So like, who is no. Boris Karloff to you? That, yeah, he is kind of just a like figure of, of that era of horror to me. And I haven't really, I haven't seen any of the universal monster right. movies. I miss every single year when Criterion does that, uh, universal monsters like section. I miss it every time. Um, but yeah, I, I mostly knew him, yeah, as kind of the idea of Boris Karloff, and not really um, him. And you're more familiar yes, with say Monster I, Mash than any of Boris Karloff's actual, like, yeah, works. yeah, just Boris um, Pickett's an imitation. <laughs> yes, right. And but like, I, I do love the the beginning, the first kind of section of him yeah. like introducing the, the the thing the the one at the end is is kind of a great for me because i'm i'm thinking the whole time like why is he on a horse <laughs> and then it sort of pans out and gives you that sort of view of of the the stage which i think is is quite beautiful in a way of just like showing like in the behind the scenes of like how this is made and you know showing the guys running around with the leaves and everything i I really love that, but um, it's my favorite part of the movie, quite frankly. And I love, I like. I think there's a lot of great stuff in this movie, but that, which apparently was just a thing they threw together, because it, it was almost like a. From what I understand, like Mario Bava was talking to one of the producers, and he was just like, "So yeah, I'm gonna end it on the end of, uh, in this case, the um, drop of water segment, uh, like the very last, like right. sort of shot of that segment." And then the producers were like, "That seems a bit like rough." I don't know. Do you want to like have something else? And they were shooting the Wunderlach at that time. That there's a specific right. shot in the movie that is like the shot that we see here, pretty much. 
Uh, right. And then it dissolves and it's like, we're at, we're putting on a show. It's like, it feels like the end of a fucking Muppet movie. <laughs> and then yeah. this pretty dark <laughs> horror movie. That's not that playful. Like, and the opening narration is very much that too. It's just like, oh, hello, welcome. Uh, I, yeah. <laughs> Boris Karloff, is there a vampire sitting next to you? Yeah, one could be next to you. <laughs> and me watching the movie by myself, I'm like, ah. <laughs> I looked over like, oh, it's my dog. <laughs> yeah. I also just love at the end, and this is like just the attitude of, of the movie is so great. Like at the end of him being like, now be careful on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> well, I will say in terms of the comparison, the one point I will give the AIP version of this movie there's more Karloff bits in between. Oh, cool. Is there? Is it in between each section then? Yes, uh, it is like literally okay. like he introduces each section pretty much. Um, and, oh, okay, okay. And it's really great where like his introduction to Drop of Water is him in front of like a, a drip and a reflection. Just like, oh, it looks like, let's hear this drop of water. And then uh, his introduction to the, uh, the telephone is literally like it's him little next to a giant telephone. <laughs> and he's just like, who cool. knows about the invention? And all of a sudden the telephone gets picked up and he's like, oh. And then he pulls up and it's him, like a big version of him talking on the phone. Uh, and then wow. the, the introduction to the Wonderlack is him in front of a bunch of trees. And he's just like, oh, this one is about the Wonderlack, which is a version of a vampire. Not that I would ever know about that, which is. <laughs> but I will say the biggest point against it, they cut the fucking Wonderlack thing at the end. That great clip is not in the AIP version. Oh, that's weird. Which is really weird when you consider that the order that was in the American release in the AIP version was Drop of Water, Telephone, and then the Wonderlack. Like, you're already ending it right. with the Wonderlack. Yeah. That's yeah. Even, it's a smoother <laughs> transition. <laughs> yeah, that is weird. Yeah. Huh. But I, I would recommend still seeing those three interstitial bits. Those are fun. And, and, right, and also yeah, dubbed really his fun. normal voice. Which is, as I mentioned oh. earlier, yeah, uh, this movie where it's even... Because the thing is, a lot of these people are speaking English on set. Yeah, like, you, I, I was paying attention. I was trying to, like, read, read the lips. their lips. Yeah. Like, I was fucking Hal. And, like... <laughs> and I was like, wait, they're speaking English. Like, you read the subtitles and you can, like, see them say the words. Yes. And it, it's a very... It's a bit jarring at times, but I don't know. You kind of have to get, have to get used to it. Right. I, I just think that makes it a bit harder for me to see Boris Karloff, whose voice I'm very familiar with. We didn't talk about this. The Grinch. Like, that's the reason Boris Karloff kind of continues as the 60s special. It's him. Right, it's all yeah. him. And, like, that's huh. where most people, I think, know who Boris Karloff is to some degree. And, uh, yeah, so when you look at him and he's, especially when he's introducing himself, like, hi, I'm Boris Karloff. Yeah. <laughs> the voice coming out of him is very, like, it's like normal Italian man. And I'm like, this is Boris Karloff. Yeah. Like, I don't know. It's very it's funny. Uh, but yeah, so as you mentioned, we are going to be going in the order of the Italian version in terms of the segments because we both watched. Uh, so we're starting off with the telephone. Il telefono. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I know it's obviously a different language, but at a certain point it just becomes like the fish head guy from Spongebob. <laughs> but anyway anyway wait. so the telephone um basically is about this uh, young lady named rosie who is at her apartment and she starts getting these messages on the phone in the italian version it sounds at least like her uh, ex-boyfriend who had gone to prison she put him there and he might be right. 
out there right now. Um, and so she calls her buddy, Mary, uh, played by Lydia Alfonsi. Uh, and, you know, yeah, uh, the situation plays out from there. So, Brian, uh, how'd you feel about this one? Because this one often kind of gets pegged with being the worst one, I would say, popular opinion-wise. How do you feel about it? You know, it, it is kind of that thing where I'm like, is the whole thing just this this room and this, like, you know, in, in this section? And basically, it is. But I, I, I sort of... I, I like that, and I like sort of the simplicity of it. And, I, I mean, it is just Scream. Like, it, it very much yes. reminds me of Scream. Very true. And it's kind of, it is, it's just that thing of, you know, you see the, the DNA of these modern horror movies yeah, when you go back and watch old ones. It's, yeah. And I, but I, I liked it because also I, I, I just love the kind of vagueness of the, of the story where it's like, you only get vague, like, hints as to like yeah she her and this guy were together he's in prison now and now he's escaped like that's kind of it and then like she's calling her friend they have a history it's implied that it's a lot deeper than that um but i i just thought it was really clever and you know it it doesn't overstay its welcome which um is good because i think that any longer than this it would have just been like okay, when is this thing over now? Yeah. But yeah, I, I really liked it. What about what about you? Well, I think that particular last point, I think is why, because when I watched this originally, I kind of bought into that as well, where I liked the segment, but I didn't love it. And then seeing it again this time, after watching a lot of the other Bava sort of Giallo ones I hadn't seen, um, I think a big problem with a lot of his Giallos, which I still like all the ones I saw, but the biggest problem is that like, even at, some of them are like 80 minutes long, uh, still feels like they're kind of stretching for time. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. A lot sure. of them. I think Blood and Black Lace is particularly guilty of that, where I think yes. the mm-hmm. opening and ending of that movie, I think, are like the first 20 and last 20, I think, are like, oh, but these are pretty, this is a pretty fucking great movie. There's a lot in the middle. Yeah. A lot in the middle there. That's like... <laughs> it kind of it meanders a bit. Yeah. So in this case, where you have like the telephone, which is like this, I believe what, is this the shortest one? Because I know the Wonderlack's the longest, and I know that Drop of Water's like 24 minutes long. Something like that, yeah. This is probably this probably is the shortest one. Yeah, so around probably twenty minutes or so. But I think it's compact and it gives you everything you need really need to know about these characters and also uh, these two lead actresses, uh, Michelle Mercier and Lydia Alfonsi, are both really fucking great. Just in the weird, both brilliant examples of like this particular era of Italian horror and how women were presented but at the very least yeah i'll say in, in a lot of those movies it's um a bit more uh male gazy but this particular segment was kind of the one of the three that got chopped up the most in the aip version because there's a lot hmm. of uh, sort of themes that would indicate that uh mary and rosie are lovers um, yes yeah mm-hmm. they're not not fucking each other in this segment yeah basically. there's an implication there that you can kind of put the pieces together right and yeah yeah yes um and i think the particularly um alfonsi is so good i think in particular portraying the twists of this character we're initially introduced to her and she's on the phone and it's like oh they're gal pals just talking with each other and then the reveal happens and you're like oh oh wait oh fuck A this is reveal. really <laughs> messed up and then she comes over to the apartment, and it's just like, so hey, 
remember uh, when we used to fuck? Basically, that's what the entire... It's saying that without saying that. And I think it's so yeah. well done. And I think particularly, like, there's just the small bits of body language that she has, Alfonsi, which is like the way she's like laying particularly on like the desk and also the bed and just like, oh, here's this knife to put under your pillow because you need to stay yeah. safe, girl. You need to yeah. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> just in case. <laughs> right, yes. Um, particularly, uh, my favorite bit of this, honestly, is the, just the cut where she's just like, oh, well, um, now that all that's over, why don't you get me a nightgown? Um, and then they cut pretty much to Rosie on the bed looking just like an ecstasy basically yes yes yeah it, it is like really interesting to watch it and sort of see those kind of you know the the queer subtext in there right. it's very interesting to watch it now and especially as you say like look women in horror movies it's a very you know there are oh, many are, people have wow that's crazy is are there like multiple <laughs> essays maybe particularly about chainsaws and the representation <laughs> of those penises that you might be referring to Yes, um, but it is, yeah, it is just really interesting to sort of see that subtext in a film from, like, 1963 that is, yeah, it, it's so interesting, and I, I, I do love the way that, like, Mary, yeah, just seeing her play, like, the two sides where she's, like, on the phone being, like, I'm gonna fucking kill you, and then, like, as she, like, well, with, with, by the way, we should mention like, with, with a rag, I love that, <laughs> that's how it changes, so like, great. honestly, you know, uh, Mary, just get into, like, a voice acting. You could dub some of these Italian movies pretty well, I would argue. <laughs> it's a pretty good... Yeah, the voice is really... It's really funny. It, it's... I, I love how, like, you know, just kind of dumb it is, where it's, like, just a rag over the phone that makes your voice different. Like, easy, yeah. Right. And, and, um, and also just that shot when Rosie's in ecstasy and it pans over to Mary writing that fucking note. I love that note where it's just like, oh, dear Rosie, I'm sorry. Uh, guess what? I was the one that was calling you and uh, saying I was going to fucking kill you and I sounded like your boyfriend. And I also put like a little newspaper clipping underneath your uh, door and all that. But we're cool, right? We're still buddies. <laughs> yeah, she's basically like, hey, yeah, sorry. I was in a really bad mood. I wasn't handling it well. Like, I'm sorry about that. <laughs> but then the very giallo sequence happens. Yes. Yes. Uh, where the boyfriend suddenly comes back and is in the room, kills Mary with her own stocking, um, and yeah. then uh, is about to murder Rosie, and then uh, she gets the upper hand with the knife, and then it ends in tragedy. And it, that's kind of like the perfect anthology like twist thing, because I, I love Tales from the Crypt. Like this one and The Drop of Water, actually, both feel very Tales from the Crypt ish. Um, mm -hmm. and, uh, with the sort of ironic comeuppance and all this other stuff. Uh, but, but yeah, I should mention in the AIP version, the censoring involved, uh, basically one, it is not Mary who is the killer in this context. They changed the, they shot a couple new things to indicate, oh, this is actually a supernatural event. Uh, like, oh. like instead of a newspaper clipping, she gets a note that writes just like, I can see you. <laughs> like, <laughs> and then she runs into like this guy named the Colonel who was like, not, not in this version of the movie. I don't think. And like the, there's a, no. she just like goes into the hallway and bumps into a guy who's just like, Oh, huh. well, I can't believe what's going on. It's basically just a cover that like deliver all the information Mary gave about this. Um, and then my favorite change I love it so much. The note, instead of, like, obviously they cut around any of, like, the more sexual implications. Um, and right. then they have, her note is literally just like, Dear Rosie, 
Um, I consulted with the psychiatrist, and he determined that you were very <laughs> uh, much in need of help. And keep in mind, this is happening at like what three thirty in the morning. It's like, when the fuck did you? <laughs> like, <laughs> who did you call? Which psychiatrist works these late hours? <laughs> That is such a weird. That yeah. is such a weird change. That's so bizarre. Yep. It's way worse. Um, also, spoilers. It's a very bad version yeah. of the second. <laughs> like that's the thing is if I if I, I think if I grew up seeing the AIP version, which I think a lot of people did, in like particularly you know in the United States, um, it definitely just feels like this is weird and doesn't make any sense to me. Like I would say this is the worst segment outright as like the bad one. Sure. That version, right. Yeah. Um, but you know, any other thoughts on the telephone before we move on to the next story? Um, well, what I was just gonna say, which I find so interesting, is like this is obviously pre like pre slasher and pre kind of violent to you know showing anything too violent, and I I just find it so like interesting the way that uh, uh what's his name uh Frank I believe is his name the yes. the the husband who's escaped or whatever uh that he kills her with like a stalking. Yes. Because I, you know, it's sort of that that like keeping up classy appearances where it's like, well, this is a, a classy murder. It's with a stalking, not a knife or anything, or, or like I, one I, of those corroding fucking like wire things. Yeah, like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. A really great section. Um, shall we do? Shall we do the next one? Well, I do just want to shout out one thing for before we continue is that um, we should credit the music uh, in the Italian version uh, from Roberto Nicolosi. Uh, which I think is very curious because it's like not a traditional horror score. Um, it feels a bit more just like it fits kind of like whatever the genre of the segment kind of is. Like there's a lot of sort of 60s right. hangout music for most of the telephone, like particularly when uh, Mary comes over. It's just very like weird, like Herb Albert kind of like brassy yeah. shit. <laughs> it's just like, okay, this <laughs> yeah. is weird. Um, and then we get more in the AIP version. It's, Bad stock music, like dun dun dun, oh, dun, dun, no. dun. yeah, right, rough. Um, but yeah, so uh, we should move on though to the Vondolak, uh, our next yes. segment, which takes place in 19th century uh, Serbia. Which I do love how also like contemporary and contemporary on either end, and then 19th century Serbia, <laughs> yeah, <in> specific. <laughs> um, but uh, here uh, we follow um, Vladimir. Um, who is this guy who's like walking, running around on a horse? Uh, when well, please he is he he is a count. Well, that's true. He is a count. It's Count <laughs> Vladimir. Of course, I apologize. Yes. Uh, look, believe me, on this particular like when we're talking about a vampire thing, gotta respect them counts. Uh, yeah. Dracula, <laughs> Vladimir, von Count, the big ones. Um, but but yeah, so he this count is wandering around in 19th century Serbia. And then uh, goes into this small little uh, sort of hunter's house that he finds in the eerie fog. And um, the family is all talking about just like, where did you get that dagger? Because he shows this dagger. And it's like, yeah. oh, this dagger I just found along the way at this horrible murder where there was just a... Yes, he finds a, a headless corpse yes. with a knife in its back or in its like, in its chest, I believe, right? Right, yes. Uh, it's so hard to tell because there's no head. Right, yes, <laughs> indeed. Uh, so... Yes, he finds he apparently uh, exposits all this, and then the family says, "Oh, that was probably um, this, I don't know, this other Baron or something like that that is like mysteriously yeah. another character in this movie in this segment, uh, who's just like, oh, he's this guy who is basically gonna like 
get us out of house and home. So uh, the patriarch, uh, the grandpa, is just like, I'm going to go out there. I'm going to kill him. No sons, don't follow me. I have to do this myself. Um, I'll go out there and I'll ride for five days. Um, and if I don't come back after five days, then don't let me in. And stab yeah. me through the heart. Uh, so it's just like, oh, shit. Okay, so it, they establish this sort of Slavic version of a vampire called the Wunderlach, uh, which yes. um, is, to, to my knowledge, it's a um, Slavic folklore legend uh, where some Western sources define it as like a type of Russian vampire that must consume the body of its loved ones and convert its whole family, which, of course, is the case when the, the patriarch played by Boris Karloff uh, returns and is looking very pale and has his billowy uh, white mustache and hair. And it's just like, no, nah, I'm fine. Let me in. Come on. <laughs> he, sh- he shows up. He looks like a ghoul. And I believe what he says is like, isn't anyone going to greet me or something like that? <laughs> <And> it's like... <laughs> and everyone around him is like petrified. Like, just like, is he uh, alive? Or <laughs> It's really funny. Right. Yes. And so uh, he basically is just like, no, nah, I'm chill. Let's go in. Let's invite me in. Yep. And uh, we'll just chill out here and I'll hang out with, you know, my grandson and I'll make sure you kill the dog. You know, family things. <laughs> uh, and they're like, huh, this is very odd. And as it turns out, um, the patriarch has become a von der Lack and is out to destroy the family from within. Uh, and yeah, so I'm very curious, especially Brian, for you, because with your lack of knowledge of Mr. Karloff and the dubbing situation, do you still get the majesty and the beauty of Karloff as a horror performer in this? A, a little bit, actually, yeah. I, I I, mean, he has such a presence, obviously, like just the way he looks and like, you know, I, I think he is giving a, a good performance. Like it is sort of you have to you have to like peel the layers of it of like it's, you know, him being dubbed over. It's his, you know, later career, stuff like that. But yeah, th- this was the section I will say that I was a bit while I was watching it, I was a bit kind of unsure if I'd like it or not. Yeah, because it feels similar to a lot of older horror movies where it's like there's a guy, he's wandering in the woods, he's like, and then he he comes across like the supernatural or the evil or whatever. It's it's literally um, the the old dark house, which is a movie Boris Karloff was in thirty years prior. <laughs> yeah (laughs) okay right as it sort of came together i will say this it really it it also is the one that similar to the telephone like i can see a lot of like horror filmmakers taking influence from this Mm -hmm. because it is like uh, like you said it's it's literally a family like devouring itself it's such a it's such a fascinating like uh a24 horror i think you owe Right. Respect, yes. <laughs> yeah, and just but the the I, I do love that you know it is like a vampire, but that sort of twist of they consume the people they love the most is such like a genius like way to do this kind of story and right to put a, a bit of a twist on on the kind of vam the traditional vampire. Well, especially because um, like it feels. Because as a fan of the Universal Monster movies, it kind of feels in step with that in terms of it's like these characters are, such, are so archetypal um, and there's not yes. mm-hmm. like necessarily a lot of 
background to him. Um, but at the same time, you get a lot of sort of the earnestness, and especially, like, it's based on an old sort of, like, Slavic folklore tale. Like, you know, that's the IP of 1963. <laughs> it's just, we're not getting the 19th century Serbia folklore cinematic universe at this point necessarily but at the same time you even have that where like i love how in the universal monster movies like all of the extras are like dudes in lederhosen and ladies that look like yeah. they should be at beer halls right. just like that just like i don't know vaguely eastern european i guess right yeah <laughs> it kind of feels in that, step with that in a weird way yeah where like even i'm kind of like i initially i'm like okay when is this where is right. this what's going on and then i was like it doesn't matter it's right. like medieval times Sure. And then it's Eastern Europe. Go with it. It's like the, <laughs> it's the part of Eastern Europe where vampires live. Right. Like, you know, we all know that place. It's Transylvania, um, but we're not saying it's Transylvania. Right. Yes, exactly. But yeah, I'm curious about your thoughts on, on this uh, section as a whole. I would say, I remember when I first watched this, I thought it was my, f- I was my favorite. I thought like, oh, this is great. And then watching okay. it again, it's, this is a very good segment, but it is the only one that feels long. Because this one definitely is like what it's like, I would say a solid thirty-three minutes around maybe? there. It's somewhere like yeah, and it definitely feels it. Like I would rather yeah. they cut a few bits out and maybe put in Boris's interstitials, um, <laughs> you know, because those were actually shot later. And I'm just like, why wouldn't Baba want to do that? Through like, I would want to see Boris like somehow involved in every single one of these segments, even if he's like a cameo. In right, like, right. or whatever, um, or even the voice. He could have been the voice of the telephone. That would I cut out. That would, that would be even yeah. funnier for Mary to just be like doing a really <laughs> great Boris Karloff impression, just with a rag. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but yeah, I, I I think it's just it's because there's kind of like a pacing issue there, and also I think that archetypalness is fine for everyone that isn't Count Vladimir. I'm sorry, Vlad. Um, I yeah. <laughs> I think he's definitely just like he's your audience surrogate beanpole, who will yep. just go mm-hmm. around and introduce you to all the different family members. <laughs> and also, because yep. all the meaty stuff is with the other people, particularly like the sequence we kind of referenced earlier, where like after he uh, Boris Karloff comes back and then he goes into the the cabin and he's just talking with everybody, but it's just like um, so frustrated. And he's like clearly so like aggro and just upsetting and there's all this stuff but like oh my god that dog won't shut up kill him and just immediately <laughs> puts so much tension in the room especially when like you take that for granted in these era horror movies like oh there's a a dog howling at the moon but this guy suddenly just breaks that tradition just like no fuck off kill this dog i want you to do and just the, the sound design on it in particular is so like upsetting which is like the yelp that we get it, yeah. it doesn't sound like a stock sound that would be like, oh, whatever, just like a, a bark. It just sounds like, right. oh, this animal just died. It's really fucked up. Yeah, it's such a, like, it's a very, like, disturbing section where he's like, shut up, go kill that dog right now. And I'm like, oh, <laughs> I think he says, go kill my dog, which kind of makes it, like, more upsetting. That's, that's like, worse, he, yeah. That's a lot worse. <laughs> yeah. I, I will agree with you, though. I, I think that it has a lot of pacing issues, and it's, like, it, it kind of is a bit too long. Vladimir's not the best no. like character at all. Um, played by, by the way, an actor called Mark Damon. Yes, who was one of the gets, along with Karloff. Because he was apparently, like, I forgot what he's... Um... Oh, yes, he had been in Roger Corman's House of Usher. He was the lead uh, of that movie. Okay. 
which is a very good movie, I would say. At some point, we'll dig into the Corman of it all. Um, but sure. I, I, that's a really solid version of it. So he was kind of like the big get like right after that. Like, oh, look at this. It's B-movie royalty over right. here. <laughs> uh, and he's, yeah, he's there. He's yeah, <laughs> I, I like... I like it when, when the 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 romance. I I can't even say the romance develops because it literally is. Just, no, it's very. They have two scenes together. No, and then they have like love. one scene together, dude. They just <laughs> the have. Scene. They introduce each other, and then he's just like, "Hey, girl, I think you're pretty <laughs> cute." And then she's like, "Yeah, all right, let's run away together. Let me abandon my family, who's being bitten to death, like becoming vampires yeah. at the hands of my grandfather." Um, which we shouldn't even mention. Like the order is so like upsetting. Where it's like. Boris comes back, he insists on having his grandson on his lap, which is so fucking <laughs> upsetting. And we're yeah. like, well, he's being genteel toward the kid, but anyway, that's like, oh, I'm going to gobble you up like I'm a fucking <laughs> the, the witch from Hansel and Gretel. Uh, and he does. And that's really fucked up. <laughs> it is very, like, the, the, the child death is just, it's so, like, upsetting. And also is, like, I was not expecting it from, like, this kind right. of horror movie that is, like, not that it isn't dark, but it is kind of that style of like, you know, fifties and sixties horror movie where it's like the, you will not believe how scary this is. Like kind of that thing. Um, like the, the um, it, last us on the left, like it's only a movie. It's only a movie. Like yeah. That kind of thing. That kind of thing. Yeah. 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 Um, and if you, if you watch the trailer, which you would have heard a bit of earlier, it is very much trying to sell on like a bit of the horror, but mostly just the sex appeal of it all. With uh, particularly this woman who I I'm, I believe it's a uh, Susie Anderson, um, who plays yes. Denka, yeah, um, who is very striking in the movie. I think that's that's a big thing. She also looks very much like when you think of like a poster of an Italian movie where there's this like incredibly gorgeous woman on the cover. It's like oh it's her. Okay yeah that's it. That's that's yes. who they painted mm-hmm. basically for that. <laughs> but I think she also I will I will agree with you. I think he gets the like, Vladimir gets more interesting only because I think. Sedenka, so I think, is a more interesting character, and I think her performance actually yeah. works like her, particularly the bit, it's probably my favorite bit that's not Karloff in the segment, is like her um, talking with Vladimir, and Vladimir's like, oh, uh, when does the, the curse stop at, on the five days? And she says, at midnight. <laughs> yes yeah it's, it's, even in the dubbed version of this uh you can still feel like the the presence of that yeah and I, I will say like towards the end where it she starts to get a bit more screen time and a bit more the the story revolves more around her yeah it becomes more interesting and i mean i think that's also helped by the fact that it i think the the sec the segment as a whole just kind of picks up in that last kind of that last leg but remind me of the la- of of kind of that section. It's a bit it's a bit blurry for me. Um, I don't know, yeah, because it's one of the other like the the one brother I think the one that gets ordered to shoot the dog. I think is yes, next. right. Yeah, the blonde I one. So, yeah, I think. Um, and because it's Pietro, um, yeah, played by Massimo Rai, um, Maria played by Rika Dialina. My, my fucking ancestors are rolling around <laughs> in the pasta fazool. Um, and then. Uh, <laughs> and then uh, uh, Giorgio, played by uh, Glauco Honorado, which is once again just <laughs> Mama Mia, indeed. Um, but but yeah, they they get killed in like some sequential order like that. And I will say, like that kind of gets tedious. You kind of can see the origins of like the slasher in terms of just like yeah. the, the picking off order and stuff like that. But it's in very quick succession. And I would think I I would say honestly, aside from 
the kid. The kid is so effective. And then the other ones are like, they're solid. They look like there's a bit of gore. There's, yeah, it's a bit kind of like, you know, it's, it's work on that level where it's, it's basically, it, it's a slightly over version of like the universal monster movies, which I think is also like a big thing with this one. So like even just the, the way like the villain comes in and then like desecrates all these people. Um, and then the, the ultimate twist uh, that adds to like sort of the anthology thing in particular, where he's just like, oh, everything's safe, everything's good. And then is like, yes, let me kiss you. And she goes for the neck. Yes. What? Uh, which, <laughs> it's an obvious twist, but I will say the images of Karloff and the other family members kind of like haunting and doing, especially like there's a point where they all just do like the Spike Lee shot. Where it's just like on them and they're like <laughs> yeah. moving around and the, the the environment as it's going. Uh, yeah, it's um, it's spooky and effective even if it is maybe familiar. Yeah, um, and I will say like most of most of I think why I, what I like about that section is what I mentioned earlier of just that idea of like the this the family destroying itself and you know these yeah and seeing how you know, that certainly has influenced a lot of directors. I mean, we could name like just so many movies of like family and horror and kind of, yeah, it, it's, it's the part that I like the most about that section. And just, it's, you know, Karloff looks great. He just yeah. looks so like striking. And I mean, so like, he looks menacing, great. Like, and also we should mention the production design looks amazing. Oh my gosh. Like yes. my, while we're recording my zoom background is just the establishing shot of the little cottage. And it's just like exactly yep. what you think of when you think of house in the middle of the woods. I don't want to go near, like at all. Right. Yeah. We're not Vlad. Just like, oh, I'll go right in. Everything will be yeah. fine. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, yeah. Any any final thoughts? I guess on um, well, you know, luck. In terms of the AIP version of this movie, I will say this right, one yeah. being last, I think, is a big mistake. Because like. Especially when they start off with, like, the next segment, which, spoilers, might be the one that's the best and one of the best segments in a horror anthology. Having, like, that first in the telephone, then Wonderlack. Just, like, that's... Especially when Wonderlack is as long as it is. Right. And you don't have that... I'm gonna be pissed off again. That fucking cute Boris Karloff thing at the very end. <laughs> um, also, weird thing they change. This is just, like... I don't know why. They change it to 10 p.m. instead of midnight? In the weird. English that's a, that is a weird. That, most businesses are still open at 10 p.m. unless it's yeah, like ten. a weekday. I don't know. The witching hour at 10 p.m. <laughs> oh, the spookiest time when you can go to Walgreens still. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, so we move on now to the drop of water, which yeah. uh, basically the setup of the segment is it takes place in 1910s London and follows Nurse. Okay. Helen Chester. Uh, yeah, I was gonna say the, you can like the the production design definitely says nineteen tens London, but yeah. not like the look of any of the people in this movie. No, the, everyone's so Italian. <laughs> yes. Aside from Karloff, who was playing like the S Serbian guy from earlier. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, um, so yes, uh, Helen, uh, who is played by uh, Jacqueline Duroc, um She's called in on the telephone by um, this woman who is the maid uh, for this very rich person, this very rich lady. And she's like, please, nurse, you have to come. Uh, she's she's going into shock or whatever. She, something's happened. And then they she 
arrives, and uh, this woman has passed. So while um, the nurse, Helen, is trying to, like, uh, you know, just settle affairs, she also sees, oh, she's got a pretty little ring on there, on her finger. Mm-hmm. Looks around. I'm not going to be needing that anymore. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just pry that from your cold, dead hands. When she, uh, you know, she takes that ring, and then she leaves with it, and when she returns home, um, she starts hearing drops of water everywhere. And then God. her lights go out, and then... A friend pops over. <laughs> this, yeah, this is the best section. I'm yeah. just gonna say easily, it. yes, 100. percent I was, you know, because after the the after the Vertilac, which I liked, I was like, okay, I'm I'm pretty satisfied. You know, what is this one? I don't really know much of what it's about, and I had read like the description that was on the back of like the the DVD, and I was like, that sounds like a lot to handle in. Like, how long is this one? It's, like, under 20 minutes? Well, 24? Yeah, yeah. Or... Yeah. And it is so creepy and so unsettling. I love just one of the things offhand where, you know, you sort of put the pieces together is that the maid references that she uh, had seances every Friday. And it's sort of, like, this offhand thing, like, yeah, she had them every Friday. And you're just like, oh, that's concerning for... (laughs) this woman probably (laughs) um yeah it's so unsettling and so creepy when it gets to like that apartment section but even the beginning the the production design is so like beautiful and like this this kind of like run down like like big home Um, it's a citizen kane house too but also with but she's also a cat lady which is great this might be one of the earliest examples of cat lady yeah (laughs) cinema (laughs) But yeah, what about you? What about you? What are your thoughts on this on this section? Well, yeah, this is the one definitely when like I had heard for years about this movie, particularly given you know my background with like the the gruesome magazine days where I started doing my podcasting stuff. People like shout Bill Mulligan, which is over Dragon Con, um, people like that, which they like. Oh, the segment that really like messed me up when I saw this on cable in the seventies was uh, the image of our uh, our ghostly. A uh, rich cat lady, who, especially the shot where it's her in the bed, uh, where we oh initially see her, and because like mainly, it's an obvious mask. Like from the moment you see her as a corpse, sure. it's like yeah. it's a mask on a dummy, initially. Yeah, and it looks very much like that. It's very, it's kind of silly, which almost kind of yeah. throws you off to when like later on, when the lights are out and you keep hearing these drops of water and the suspense is built up, all of a sudden she's just like laying in that bed. Then she gets up. Yeah. It's fucking creepy. (laughs) Yeah, it's just one of those moments in a horror movie that just makes you freeze and, like, just pay attention to, like, you're just eyes wide, like, watching, kind of like, what the fuck is happening? Yeah, it's it's so effective. Especially, I could get why it would build up the reputation as well, because I think we didn't talk about, uh, this movie was not successful at all when it came out. Uh, This movie um, made for 250 million lira, uh, end up making 103.5 million lira, which is like very much not a success whatsoever, at least in Italy. And I don't know how big it was in theaters in the U.S. necessarily. Um, but at the same time, I could see why if you saw this on cable, particularly like if you were in, I don't know, you're you're a youngin, so I don't know if you know about the channel surfing days, Brian. A little bit, yeah. A a little bit. Bit. You were the tail end of that, sure, yes. Yeah, yeah. But imagine it's just like it's, you know, midnight, Saturday night when you're, like, a kid, 
and you're just like, oh, I want to watch something. It's like spooky at night. Oh, what's this segment about this like lady's trying to steal a ring? And then that happens. I would be terrified. That would stick with me. I could see why that yeah. that kind of like helps the lasting power of this movie. That particular image. Yeah, and it's such an effective like, just an effective moment of just like the lighting, the way that it's shot, yeah. the way that like it like her face kind of like stands out in the darkness. It's just so, so creepy. And even earlier, like my favorite lighting bit in this movie is definitely the green light that's outside her door. That's just like, it's some kind of like blinking light that's just like, oh, of course it'd be like maybe a street light or she lives next to a lighthouse. I don't know. But it's just like, oh no, but it's this giant ominous green light that especially when the power goes out, it's like so effective just oh, like man. why does it look fucking green <laughs> <laughs> yeah and even just like it, this is this, this is a story that i think is the most kind of like that has just like the it, the least amount of information it is so simple given it's a very bare bones yeah. story yeah and you I, I think again i keep repeating kind of this idea of like you see a lot of this in modern horror, but you, you do like, I, I think that section, the section in particular was like, it felt very modern to watch in a, in a movie from the sixties. It mm-hmm. like, you know, like you could fucking show this now and it would be like terrifying to me, but it, it yeah, it, it's such an interesting part of, of that segment as well. And it feels at least the most sort of like primally scary as well, because it's like, it's so yeah. bare mm-hmm. bones as a story. That kind of works because, like, the telephone works because, like, oh, there's like two twists, and that's like that's just right. enough for that segment. The Wonderlack is kind of bloated, um, even though it's also right. a fairly simple story, but they just kind of like really luxuriate. It's got more in characters it. and stuff right. like that yes. as well. Yeah. That's that's another thing, yeah. Where like you have three main characters in the telephone and three in the drop of water. It, it's just like it's a perfect horror movie like segment. For an anthology. Yeah, it's definitely yeah, one of those. If I were to do like a top 10 list, maybe we do that in the future. I don't know. Put a pin. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But like of uh, sort of anthology segments, even regardless of horror, it's just like it's such perfect sort of short story storytelling all the way yeah. to the, the fucking ending of this is great. We're just like, oh, she gets horribly murdered after seeing, by the way, this, this old woman not only is in that bed, but then she turns around like, oh, she's in my rocking chair. Oh, she's behind me. And she's like about yeah. to grab me. She teleports around. Uh, and then we see the image of um, our lead here, Jacqueline Perrault, which, by the way, we should just mention Millie Monty is the maid, and then uh, Harriet Medina is the concierge, and there's a police inspector and a coroner. There's, like, a few other characters, but she's really carrying this whole segment by herself, alongside this dummy. that's <laughs> like, yeah. mostly around her. Um, and she does a great job. She really, I believe her sort of, like, desperation, the way that she's, like, kind of reacting and, like, the look of her sort of apartment early on to like her like oh that ring well you know this rich old lady ain't gonna need it anymore uh and then i'm um, getting chased around and then her visage of her corpse staring at the concierge lady is like also oh, very upsetting um and also you know shout out to i also love the little insert of her ring finger that's there and it has like the little yes, bit of like yeah like there's mm-hmm. just enough indent they're just like, hmm, looks like this could have come from someone taking a ring off her. And that great shot of fucking Harriet Maiden just like, what? No. What? No. <laughs> no, come on. Um, it's it's a very, like, it's a solid, like, ending. It also feels very, like, Tales from the Crypty. Yeah. And what you were saying earlier as well, I, which I think is so, like, the real genius of this is that it is such a perfect little horror movie. 
Yeah. And it is like, yeah, the other ones have characters and especially after the Vertilac, which is so bloated and has, you know, you you kind of want it to be over by, by the time it's over. This is so like, it just kind of captures you with like the, the, the mood and like the vibe that it's giving, which is just so like ominous. Um, I also just love the shot of like, cause like you mentioned, she's in the rocking chair, but then it has a shot of her, of like just the rocking chair moving. Yes. Like on its own. And that is just so upsetting. And that's the, that's the simplest editing trick possible. Right. Yeah. And it works so well. Yeah. We, we should mention the titular element of this, the drops of water. Wonderful sound yeah. design. Amazing sound design. Yes. Though I will say, uh, Helen, drain your goddamn bathtub, okay? You're not using it. No one's using it. You don't want mildew to, like, build up in that place. Come on. You gotta drain that thing. Yeah. yeah I, all I could think when, like, she just kept hearing the drops of water and kept closing the tap. I'm like, how many fucking faucets do you have in this apartment? <laughs> Jesus. Oh, no, my closet faucet. It's also dripping. Yeah. Yeah, and just but, and the the yeah, just the simplicity of like that sound. And at first, you're just kind of like, eh, it's just water dripping, whatever. And just the more you hear it, and the rep the repetition of it over and over again, it it just becomes more creepy. The more that it goes on, you know, I'll say th- this might be a hot take. I don't think it is because I like these movies. But around this time, Roger Corman was doing his Edgar Allan Poe movies, um, right? Like The Raven and. House of Usher, all these things. This is probably the most Edgar Allan Poe I've seen a '60s era horror movie do this, because uh, it feels so much like it's the beating of that hideous heart. That kind of like that specific trope when something that feels like it would be innocuous and you just hear it over and over again. Like, shut the fuck up! I can't even hear myself yeah. think, especially when you're in an apartment and alone. I love how this captures sort of that loneliness that she feels when she like comes back. That feeling, especially where yeah. it's like, have you ever been? home alone during a power outage like just the roughest thing possible <laughs> yeah it the, like isolate the isolation of it like in the apartment it is so just creepy yeah um but yeah uh so then and then we have a little boris Karloff thing which i want to really i want to bring up again everything else because to, to emphasize like we cut after this whole like upsetting bit to boris Karloff on the horse as we yeah. saw the shot earlier when he's uh <laughs> dragging his grandson's corpse <laughs> uh, it's like that shot basically and he just is like oh well it's over kiddies have a good night and make sure to watch out who follows you home and then we pull out and it's like oh they're, they're revealing the artifice where like the horse is fake and then there's guys yeah. going around with tree branches to indicate that he's moving and the background yeah. is clearly like on like an oscilloscope kind of thing it's a little movie magic bit just like hey everybody it's a show yeah. good night everybody <laughs> especially after that sort of after the drop of water which like is scary to me watching it in 2023, but I can't like seeing it in 1963 must have been like, Jesus, I have to go home after this. Like that's, you know, terrifying getting the sort of bit of Karloff bringing back kind of the, the fun element of it, kind of that fun horror. And and then, yeah, pulling back on, on, you know, just seeing how this is all made and sort of reminding you like, Hey, this is just a movie, but you know, the movie magic is real. Like you said, yeah, and also it feels very prevalent to, like, I mentioned this show multiple times, but that kind of Tales from the Crypt, which obviously this would have been about a decade after uh, EC Comics kind of went defunct. I don't know if you know that whole... No. Oh, okay. Um, no. I mean, I don't know. That's a, Maybe that's a discussion for whenever we do cover Tales from the Crypt, but 
TLDR, in like the 50s, EC Comics was like this like brand of horror anthology comic where, you know, you would open up and there'd be a host of some sort, like the Crypt Keeper, that's where it comes from. Um, it's right. just like, hello, kitties, let's look at this story. And the story happens and he's like, oh, well, kitties, have a good night. Uh, make sure to buy the next <laughs> issue. Um, and it, when you've got, especially because I'm more familiar with it from like the TV show with John Kassir sure. doing the Crypt Keeper puppet, which terrified me as a child as well. Just that, that image is like, nope, I'm not looking at whatever the fuck that thing is at like six. And then, uh, you know, he's just like a fun goof who makes dumb puns. He'll just be like, there'll be like a political themed episode. And he's just like, I'm running for president. And he's just like, got dressed up as Uncle Sam. And then the segment happens and he's just like, well, I'd like you to vote for me on Skelection Day, kiddies. You know, that kind of shit. <laughs> <laughs> and this feels like sort of, I don't know if it would have been able to be inspired, because I don't know if Baba was, like, reading those fucking comics, because he would have been, right. I don't know, probably, like, in his 20s or something. But, um, yeah, it feels kind of, like, prevalent to, like, what I like about our great horror anthology, that kind of, like, button. Just like, all right, we're done. Have fun, kids. Yeah, it's sort of that, yeah, that, like, fun house type of horror, right. where it's like, well, you got your you got your thrills now, it's time to go, go home now. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, so, I guess, any final thoughts overall on Black Sabbath? Uh, before we get into a regular segment and our closing stuff, yeah, um, I I really loved this movie um, more than I was expecting to. Um, it was it was the last Bava I saw in this little run through, and I was I had you know really liked his his horror ones, and I was like, okay, this one will probably be about the same for me. But I was just very surprised by how gripping these these little stories were. Um, and even as, you know, the middle section kind of is a bit bloated and kind of goes on for a while, I still, you know, just the way that the look of it and just the, the vibe of it just it is so, it was kind of made me go like, yeah, it's fall. It's time to watch some, some spooky stuff. It's really great. And yeah, like we mentioned, the drop of water is my favorite segment. It absolutely just creeped me out way more than I was expecting to. Yeah. Um, yeah, I loved it. And I'm, I'm very curious to, to look at more Mario Baba movies. Cause now I'm, now I'm very interested in him as a filmmaker. Yeah. But what about you? Uh, this is my favorite Baba of mainly the limited okay. amount I've seen. Cause he's also, he was so prolific and there are so many of these movies. I'm like, I don't know how I can hit like, thank God for either your local libraries or canopy yep. Uh, which yep. is the library streaming service. If you don't know out there, you get 480p quality um, versions of, well, I don't know, 720. They're like 720. They're like yeah, decent. Yeah, 720. Um, yeah. But, but yeah, uh, versions of like several movies that really aren't on streaming services. Uh, and uh, Campy does also Tubi. It's on Tubi. And, oh, I love Tubi. I know you you have the issue with the ads, but just the content on Tubi. The amount yeah. of stuff you get. Like, and genuinely, I was looking it up recently, and there's like, oh, wow, like, Sounds of the Lambs, and then a Tubi original. <laughs> That's like a Saw ripoff. Um, all you need. Yeah. All you need. <laughs> uh, but, yeah, so, it seems like, yeah, Black Sabbath, I would say it's one of the more horror anthologies. It's up mm-hmm. there, I think, if I have, like, shockingly, I have a litter box list of anthologies, and that's uh, pretty <laughs> high up there. And, uh, yeah, I think it just it evokes all the stuff that Bava wants to evoke out of, like, his giallos or, like, sort of, like, a fantastical thing. Like, I also see 
the inspiration for like uh, Guillermo del Toro in like the Wonderlac. Oh, we yeah. really mentioned, but mm-hmm. yeah, you can definitely see a lot of that. Um, and then the sort of Tales from the Crypt elements of it as well. It just yeah, I think it's a really solid mix of segments that are all not too similar, but all done with a familiar style that uh, really works for all of them. And we should mention you know, just the biggest trivia thing that this might be apocryphal. When I was looking this up, I saw it at a couple different places, but this movie's called Black Sabbath. If you look up Black Sabbath, you're not going to pull up this movie first. Um, and apparently the story is that uh, Black Sabbath in 1968, uh, at that time, was called Earth. Another good metal band, though, I will say. Yes. Uh, was playing a small club in Birmingham, England. And across the street, a movie theater was showing Black Sabbath. And apparently, allegedly, the band noticed that more people were in line to see the movie than they were to see them. So they... <laughs> went to sell horror tickets and uh, decided just to change the name to Black Sabbath and the rest is history. Allegedly. 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 I hope it's yes. true. <laughs> it is such a great story because I we love Black Sabbath, of course, and like it's funny to yeah, to hear that they're they got their name from this this movie. That's so interesting. Which has nothing to do with like this, you know, Sabbath, like, you know, kind of devil stuff really, like Bava's other movies kind of do, but this right. one doesn't. It's interesting. Yes. But, yeah. Well, Brian, let's go ahead and get into uh, this first edition of uh, Between the Lines for the season. So uh, Between the Lines is a segment where um, Brian and I, each uh, episode, will recommend another film that uh, kind of either fits with the letter of this particular episode's topic or, um, you know, it's kind of related to the film to some degree. Just recommend another one. Like, if you like this, here's something similar. And Brian, why don't you go ahead and go first? What are you recommending for Between the Lines? Oh, man. Okay. So I'm recommending another Mario Baba film. Uh, Not a horror movie. Of course not. Why would it be? Um, this is only the horror uh, series. Hey, it's that we're it's doing. still September when this episode's coming. That out. is true. So kind of that fits. is true. You have you get one. Um, <laughs> um, I my recommendation is Mario Bava's nineteen sixty eight film called Danger Diabolic. Um, but you should mention the colon. Yes, Danger colon Diabolic, uh, <laughs> which is. <sighs> How the how to describe this movie? It is such a bizarre movie. It is a movie about basic he, this man named Diabolic, who is like a spy, but also kind of a pirate, but and kind of a criminal. He's a thief. Who, they describe him as a thief. A, he's a point. thief. Yeah, he's a thief. That's a that's a great way of a putting, gentleman putting thief. Him. Yes, yes, and he lives with his girlfriend, his very pretty girlfriend. And he steals money, and he's a criminal, and the movie revolves around the, the cops making a deal with some mobsters to capture Diabolic. It is 
a very similar, obviously a very similar tone to Baba's horror movies. It is so much fun. And it is just the, the aesthetics of it, it, that 1960s kind of European, uh, very modern for the time kind of aesthetics to give people uh, a taste of what this movie's like. There is a section where he robs money and the police are having this meeting and one of them asks, you know, what he does with the money or what, whatever. And he says, you know, something that you're, your his my his crazy mind can think of and it cuts to him on this massive like those old like 60s beds that are like a, a huge like circle they're usually like around some kind of fireplace in yeah. the middle yes and it's covered in money yeah and he is just having sex with his girlfriend yep they're <laughs> totally his, na- they're totally naked his- but you can see uh conveniently uh, money is covering up certain bits and parts. There's definitely sort of an Austin Powers thing with like that, or a shower yes. scene that happens earlier in the film. Yeah, and it's in his like cave, which is like a l- underground cave. Like it looks like the Bat Cave. Yep. And it, it is such a fun movie. I had just such a blast watching it. it it's so ridiculous. And yeah, it feels like a James Bond ripoff in a lot yep. of ways. Um. But yeah, I have. Have you seen this movie? Um, I watched this movie earlier today, Brian. Okay, yes. nice. What What are your thoughts on this movie? Um, well, it's interesting because the reputation. I, I I'll say this much. Um, I had seen a version of this movie before in terms of um, okay. the cult favorite television series, uh, Mystery Science Theater Three Thousand. The final episode of their oh, original okay. run was this movie. Uh, kind of making fun of it. Huh. So I had seen it there, and, you know, I'm a big fan of that show. I love that show. But that would definitely be – this would be of sort of the MST3K kind of crop. Like, it has some of those aesthetics to it. There's definitely, like, certain bits where, like – that, but it's part of the charm where it's, like, there are certain points where cars go over ledges, and it looks great. And then there's, like, a certain point where, like, a boat sinks, and it's clearly, like, a toy boat. <laughs> <laughs> like plunges yeah. into the water but yeah. um at the same time like i i think that's part of the charm because especially finding out that bava's whole thing with that was like oh this is one of these like bigger co-productions this is, i think the, this is the only time he ever worked with an right. american studio because this is paramount one of the big players yes. just back and mm-hmm. just like yeah you know what let's this comic's very popular which this is based on like an italian comic book from 62 i believe um the comic's very popular and mario bava's had a track record of making really great low budget stuff how about paramount gives you a bit more money and then you get to like do whatever the hell you want and bava was very much like okay i want to impress them so i'm gonna use my techniques i usually use to save money in order to do this because this is like it's like 200 lira which is a bit shorter than black sabbath in terms of that budget right so Mm -hmm. he was like despite doing a big studio movie he cut those corners and it didn't do well at the time, and it was kind of dismissed. And I think it feels very much in line with, like, um, a movie that would come out about 40 years later, Speed Racer. Oh, yeah. There, oh, there's a yeah. lot of Speed Racer Absolutely. vibes in this movie. Um, down to, Shout out, um, an Ennio Morricone score that's <laughs> mostly unlike... <laughs> yes. a, you can kind of hear it in places, but it's a lot of just, like, 60s hip-happening music. There's a point where I believe the, our introduction to the one gangster guy is he's at a club... That's like very 60s happen and just like there's go-go dancers and there's all this other shit. And then all of a sudden, oh, the police are coming. It's rain. 
Iggy bolts. <laughs> yes. Um, but there's there's all sorts of fun. I think this also feels very much like an influence to like an Austin Powers as much as uh, like the James Bond movies. Like there's a bit of James Bond, and there's also a bit of even the Adam West Batman in a really fun way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, where with particular like the <laughs> the Bat Cave in this case is just like it's it's a den where they get to fuck pretty much it's just <laughs> yeah. it's just like this big elaborate like literally the opening is like what it's, it's a grass patch that opens up yeah and they go down there's like a big tunnel and it looks like this amazing design of like a fake cave um oh, it's so good and then uh it's just like all right we're here now we're gonna fuck each other in this cave <laughs> we just park the yeah. car and fuck here that's and all like, we do the main heist of the movie right. is literally this heist where they they're watching tv after after fucking and th- there's this like new diamond being shown or something well, right, right where it's the ambassador it, where, and his yes. wife which i love like especially the there's a lot of great british character actors in here like particularly uh, terry thomas is his name who's the guy who's like the financial administrator guy who comes on television with <laughs> the big gap in his tooth amazing and i'm sorry everyone that looks like our taxes have blown up and then he has a monocle at one point yeah. <laughs> so funny Yes, and just the fact that he's like, I'm sure you're all, you all will pay your taxes to the to the country. I, I can trust all of you. Thank you. <laughs> what is this the comedy channel? <laughs> it's a really fun movie. I would say this is, I think, my number two. Like my top three Bavas, I would say would be um, Black Sabbath, then uh, Danger Diabolik, and then uh, third one would be A Bay of Blood, uh, the movie I mentioned right. earlier. Uh, but yeah, it's it's a very solid pick though. It's definitely if you're Especially kind of tired of modern superhero movies. Uh, this is a good antidote. It's a good kind of like counter where it has a lot of the aesthetics of like older superhero stuff, but also people actually have sexual chemistry with each other. How weird. <laughs> yes, and it's also very kind of, you know, anti establishment, anti government yeah. kind of. Without thing. spoiling it, a lot of things happen to the tax offices <laughs> in this movie. <laughs> it's. Yeah, a, a very incredibly fun movie. That's, yeah, Danger Diabolic, such a fun movie. But, yeah, what is your recommendation, Thomas? Uh, yes, my recommendation is sort of in the uh, the tone of, like, another classic era horror film. Um, in this case, it is a 1967 film uh, directed by Terrence Fisher uh, called Frankenstein Created Woman which this is a Hammer production, which we didn't mention really, but around the same time, Hammer is in full swing, uh, where you got like Christopher Lee and Peter Cushing, in this case, Peter Cushing, doing um, his fourth Frankenstein film. And if you're unaware, basically in, uh, it's, the first one is Curse of Frankenstein. And basically the premise of the Hammer Frankensteins is our main character is the doctor. And every movie, he basically creates a monster and the first one is Christopher Lee. Um, and, uh, something hor- goes wrong, shockingly, in this Frankenstein story. Dr. Frankenstein creates a monster the first time. And he's like, okay, I can do it again, but better. You know, science, you gotta, like, try it multiple times. I think he says at one point, just like, you gotta keep trying. <laughs> Scientific method. Um, <laughs> and in this fourth one, he's living in this weird Eastern European village. I know, shocking. Um, for a 60s-era horror film, particularly made in Britain. He is, uh, you know, trying to do his work. While at the same time he has a lab assistant who is this uh, young man who wears like a vest and he's just like, oh, I can't wait. He, l- he literally looks like fucking like Hansel. He's just like, oh, wait. I-. but he's like 20. He's like, oh, I can't <laughs> wait to leave this small town and venture out forth 
So uh, he has this uh, woman who he's in love with who's disabled. She has uh, some sort of like nerve pinch damage where she can't really walk. And then she has a bit of scarring on her face. Uh, and everyone makes fun of her. And she, uh, except for him, and he's like the only one that understands her. And the big thing also is that her father is like guarding her from him. Like, oh, he's a, a ruffian. You can't be with him. You gotta be with a sophisticated lad. And uh, he runs the local pub uh, where, that she helps out in. And at a certain point, while uh, the young man is trying to get wine for Dr. Frankenstein, uh, these three hooligans, uh, who are very dapperly dressed, come in and just like, Oh, yes, I say, could you please give us uh, some wine? And we're going to drink as much as we can. And we're going to treat everyone like shit, particularly the, the poor young lady who they really demoralize. And that sends our best boy on a tirade, beats the shit out of him. Like, I want to emphasize this. They get fucked up in this <laughs> barroom brawl that happens 20 minutes into this Frankenstein movie. Um, and then um, the boy leaves, um, and then the ruffians come back and have murdered the poor young lady's father. Um, and she's like, oh, distraught, and she has to leave and go off and like make some arrangements. And then uh, while she's gone, our vest boy gets framed for the murder. Uh, and he is hanged. Literally, like, she, I love, she's coming home in the carriage, which is right by the hanging noose, right in front of her. Like, oh, no, I'm sorry, no. He gets, uh, it's a guillotine. He gets guillotine. He gets, like, his head right, cut right off. Right. And she's, like, literally, like, she sees him, like, oh, no, and she runs up <laughs> and everything. Um, and then Dr. Frankenstein's like, well, hmm, you know what we could do? Like, while this is all going on, he's in the background doing his experiments which are all about, um, like, the soul. Transferring the soul into another body. And he's just like, hmm, I wonder how we could do this. Wait, he's getting decapitated. We can take his body, so back on the head, and then transfer <laughs> his soul into another body. And that body ends up being the young lady who immediately after seeing this, she runs right over the bridge, commits suicide. Dead. And then they, I love, they, they, they bring her body back, like the villagers, and are just like, Dr. Frankenstein, can you do anything about this? And he's like, yeah, <laughs> I can do something with this. So our Frankenstein monster in this case is a young woman who has amnesia, and she's like, oh, I don't know who I am. Uh, but also, I hear the voice of someone who sounds familiar to me, but I don't know his name. This voice in my head who's saying... You should go kill those fucking three dudes. You gotta fucking kill them. You gotta do it. And it's a really fascinating movie, especially considering the the Hammer like Frankenstein's. Which I saw the ones prior to this, um, and I really like Curse of Frankenstein. I like Revenge of Frankenstein, the second one. The third one, The Evil of Frankenstein, is rough, bad movie. So it's like, oh, I guess this word kind of goes off a cliff. And then this movie happens, and it's like, oh, well. I mean, not quite off a cliff in, like, a bad way. This is fascinating. Especially how it sort of right. gets into, like, the interesting dynamics of, like, a woman who has this man speaking to her in her head and kind of, like, a weird identity issue that's going on there. And, like I said, the violence is brutal, particularly that barroom brawl. It's, like, deeply, deeply uh, gory and bloody. It was interesting. I also watched, like, a Hammer documentary, and one of the guys interviewed Mr. Martin Scorsese. He was oh. just like, oh, yeah, I love Frankenstein Created Woman. I saw that. <laughs> And like, this is one of the great films. I'm like, yep, I get it. Wonderful picture. Wonderful picture. Yes. Uh, <laughs> and you can see it. 
Like, the barroom brawl feels a lot like okay. Goodfellas in particular, I would say. You can oh, see a lot of the DNA. Okay. So, see, even we talked about earlier sort of the horror DNA element of it. Even Scorsese, what, what's so fascinating about him is, like, you can see a lot of horror roots in his movies, even though he's only directed, like, what, one technical horror movie? Right? Uh, which one are you counting as the one? I was thinking Shutter Island or... Because Cape Fear is more of a thriller. Cape Fear is more of a thriller. Bringing Out the Dead's more of a thriller. Taxi Driver has a lot of gory elements. It's it, it's the closest. Yeah. It feels kind of like... My whole line with that movie is it's a Nosferatu who thinks he's a Dracula. <laughs> That's pretty good. Yeah. yeah. So, so you can see a lot of that. And a lot of that DNA is in Frankenstein Created Woman. Which, like I said, that's the fourth Frankenstein movie in the Hammer series. And it's <laughs> I think it's the best one. It's my favorite also Hammer movie that I've seen, quite frankly, as well. So I would definitely recommend that one. I'm guessing you had no idea this movie really existed. <laughs> no, I, I have very little knowledge of the, the Hammer horror. Right. That's just never been a, a section of horror I've, I've dived into. I have always wanted to, and I... I, I have considered many times by uh, doing a blind buy of the... The, the blu-ray box set that has like just a bunch of like the well-known horror right. ones but yeah i mean this is pushing me more in that direction especially during this time of the year i'm very interested in these now yeah i definitely like because this is the first time i'd seen any of these like the particularly the sequels to dracula and frankenstein i hadn't really seen as much of them i i would say the track record so far from like because i went with uh christopher lee dracula through uh, dracula has risen from his grave i think the track record's a bit better for frankenstein I would say. Um, He's got more points on the board. <laughs> more points, yes. Uh, but but anyway, so yeah, so let's repeat our tiles for everybody out there uh, in case you want to add them to your watch list for the spooky season. <laughs> uh, yes, mine was the not-so-spooky, but very fun, uh, Danger Diabolic. But danger, so spooky. <laughs> With the colon in particular. The colon implies so much danger. <laughs> it's true. Um, and then uh, my recommendation was the fourth entry in the hammer frankenstein series starring peter cushing of uh frankenstein created woman which just also a shout out peter cushing rules because i mostly know him from star wars but if you watch the old hammer of horror course, movies, yeah. it's like oh it's so great and even that hammer documentary i mentioned uh came out in like 94 and it's i believe the last thing he's ever involved in uh oh, because he like okay. dies i think a couple months after and he does like a lot of great narration it's called flesh and blood the hammer horror uh, saga, I believe, and cool. it's uh, okay. and it's it's especially just when he does cheeky jokes about just like, oh, I can't believe this would happen in Queens, England, when like <laughs> Frankenstein <laughs> clips are playing and shit. It's fun, but anyway, so uh, we are heading here to the end of our first episode here of the spooky season. Uh, so uh, we want to do some, you know, we want to thank some people, and then we'll tell you all about our next episode. Uh, but first, we got to thank. Uh, you know, Burial Grid for our intro music. Uh, purchase this music at uh, burialgrid.com. Um, especially, I, I really like with our theme song, uh, it is very horror-tinged. She has a lot of great sort of um, Carpenter-esque music. Uh, it's on Apple Music mm-hmm. as well. It's uh, it's all over the place. I'd recommend listening to it. And then uh, thanks to Michelle Kyle for our artwork. Uh, find her at mishkyle96 on Twitter. And then, of course, thanks to our supporters on our Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash cinema number two letter. Uh, where for $1 a month, that's all you got to pay, you get uh, some bonus stuff. Like, we would have already put out our A Haunting in Venice audio review, which is weird. This would have come out at least a couple weeks after. We haven't seen it yet, guys, but I'm sure we're going to love it, and you'll have to hear on the Patreon to confirm it, for sure. Oh, yeah. 
yeah. While mustache talk, I'm sure. <laughs> so much mustache. Ninety percent yes. of the episodes just on the mustache. <laughs> yes. I don't know how you could after death and denial. I don't know how you can follow up that mustache stuff. Uh, but Kenny will find a way. Um, and then we should also mention that um, on the Patreon we do at least the one monthly bonus podcast. Uh, you know, at, around this time you will be hearing our full franchise episode, which uh, the patrons voted on, and they end up picking, in this case, uh, Toy Story. So we'll be covering the four Toy Story movies. Okay. Uh, and you can find us on uh, Instagram, and Facebook, and Twitter, you know. I don't know. We're recording this in advance. We always have this thing where it's like... You never know. You never know. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, you can find us there. Or you can find me on Twitter and Letterboxd is at not the who's Tommy. And I also do some writing at uh, marianithomas.wordpress.com and over at film-cred.com. Uh, yeah, and you can find me on Twitter still, hopefully, um, at my name, B-R-Y-A-N, followed by D-R-A-D-E and the number three, uh, you can also follow me on Letterboxd as well. See what movies I'm watching. See my my many. Li- I'm getting back into my list making. Yeah, so, cool. Yeah, yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So see see what lists I'm coming up with now. And uh, you can subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts out there, whatever podcatchers and such. Uh, if you're listening on Talk Film Society, you want to listen to all the other great shows that are out there, um, including you know, we should mention uh, in our hiatus. Uh, Brian and I were guests on the Talking Society podcast where we uh, talked about both American Pie and Days of Thunder uh, and also yes. uh, Gran Turismo based on a true story from Gamer to Racer. <laughs> yeah, uh, really fun time. That was a, a really fun discussion to have. Yeah, shout out to Marcelo and Siobhan. Great hosts. Yeah. A lot of fun. Hell yes. Uh, so you can listen to that. And uh, who knows, you might see some familiar faces along this season, uh, if you listen to that. Maybe, you know, Marcella was on our show previously, and maybe Siobhan might be an episode in the future. Maybe. Maybe. Nudge, yeah. nudge, wink, wink. Nudge, nudge. Um, and uh, you can also dig into our archives on our Podbean main feed for all the, you know, episodes from the first season, all the double-edged, double-bill stuff. And uh, if you have anything else, you know, if you can't support us on the Patreon, it's cool. Money can be tight for everybody. But the completely free way to help us out is to rate, review, or share the show around. Gives more visibility, especially as we go around the Serbian woods in the 19th century, in the fog. <laughs> this is the end of our episode here, Brian, but we should mention our next episode, our Eye for Indie, uh, as we mentioned on our bonus podcast uh, that we released before this one, is Phantasm from 1979. Yes. Um, and uh, I've seen this movie before. I think this movie's pretty great. This is another one you haven't seen, much like Black Sabbath. Uh, this is a new one for you, and you have very little knowledge, I guess, except for what I pretty much told you, and what you've kind of... You've seen the tall man around, haven't you? I've seen, yeah, the image of him, and, and just... That's all I know, basically. You have told me some stuff, uh, vague stuff about this movie, and I don't know anything going into it, so I'm 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 very excited to, to watch it next week. Yeah, for sure. I'm excited to talk about that. Maybe some of the sequels as well. This is one of those weird ones that has a a lengthy franchise attached to it. Um, yep. Yeah. But until that next time, everybody, uh, watch out who is uh, following you home while you listen to this yes. as you're on a <laughs> walk of some sort. The person listening next to you could be a vampire. Oh. <laughs>